Brush up your Shakespeare. Start quoting him now. That T.S. Eliot bit about April and the cruelest month? Forget it. Even though it's one rare line of poetry that millions recognize, for American poets at least, it's their lucky spin on the calendar. It's National Poetry Month. Leading Los Angeles celebrations, Luis Rodriguez. He's the city's second poet laureate, and his was hardly a cushy artist's life of tea and sonnets. But this up-from-the-streets guy has made the medium and his voice one and the same. Shakespeare. Now, December's a very busy month for Santa, but April's a busy month for poets. National Poetry Month, which keeps us pretty busy because this is where we get to go out to schools, libraries, festivals, anywhere that we can get poetry out there. In moments of stress, people who don't write anything more than a grocery list still yeah. try to write poetry. What, what's yeah. that impulse about? I think it's very deep. I think it's kind of like a bone memory thing. It's like something that we've always done as human beings. Even when we didn't have language, we were always trying to be creative, expressive. As you know, the first poets were the griots of Africa and other places where people just spoke stories and gave some lessons through story. And then poetry got mixed in because then people realized language is musical. And then pretty soon you had this great tradition that continues today, even if I feel we don't really honor poetry like we should in this country. Uh, this It's kind of a marginalized uh, art form that I think needs to be brought to the center of the culture. Now, if if Mayor Garcetti had run a want ad for the Poet Laureate position in Los Angeles, how would it read? Well, I think it had to be, from my opinion, somebody who's also community-minded, who has a, a vested interest in the betterment of our community and also has language and images to help carry the voices and stories of this great city. And for you, your personal story is also a very compelling one to reach young people, people who've had trouble yeah. past themselves. Yeah, because I grew up in a situation where I was a troubled young man. I was a dropout. I was in and out of jails and juvenile hall. I was on drugs. I was in a gang. But people helped me. And so ever since then, I've been crime-free, gang-free, and drug-free for more than 40 years. But ever since then, I've tried to help others. What is the appeal of poetry for you? Because for a lot of people, you say, poetry, it sounds so sissy. <laughs> no. I love to read books. And that's what my saving grace was. Even I didn't know English very well growing up, but books were like the one place where I could hide. And even when I was homeless and in the worst straits of drug abuse, I would go to the downtown library. That was beautiful, just to read books and books after books. So when I wanted to think about what I wanted to do, I was sitting in jail, actually, and I started writing. Somehow those words came into me and so in such a way that I felt maybe I could write. It took me a while, but I learned how to write, and I've been doing it ever since. Were you writing first in Spanish? Well, actually, I started writing in English because all the books I was reading was in English, even though Spanish is my first language. I wanted to speak to America, and I was born in this country, raised in this country. This is my country. I love Mexico, of course, and I love all uh, my, my family, but... Um, I felt that I needed to impact this country, my country, that um, I thought I could if I get the right words and stories out. Now, why the Central Library? What got you in the doors of a library? Well, what happened is I was downtown homeless, and um, 
in those days, it was a different time, but still there was a lot of places to sleep. There used to be abandoned cars everywhere, and now they're all gone. The abandoned warehouses, the, the Concrete River, the Ali River. There was over an all-night movie theaters. There was all these places I would sleep. But during the day, I really loved that library. It was my refuge. Books never beat me up. They never told me I'd never mount to anything. Books were always open to me, and that really helped me, I think, get through all, all the trouble I was in. Do you remember some of the first books you pulled off the shelf? You know, to be honest with you, I loved Ray Bradbury. And Who I know also loved the Central yeah, Library. I didn't really know that. Martian Chronicles, I think, was one of the first books I picked up. Uh, I loved uh, African-American experience books at the time. I'm talking about Malcolm X, uh, James Baldwin, um, uh, Claude Brown, Manchild and Promised Land, Perry Thomas. I ate them up because they were the only books I really could relate to. They might have been from Harlem or Chicago or other places, and they might have been African-American, but to me, they were telling my story from their viewpoint. They were outsider stories. They were outsider stories, but also because they were troubled men who somehow found a way, and that was important for me. When you talk to kids who feel like outsiders themselves, what do you tell them to maybe pull them into the fold to let them know there's a medium, an art form that might work for them? You know, one of the things that's been most effective is the idea of owning your life. Because one thing that happens when you're in the streets, you think you own your life, you think you're not dependent on anybody, but when you're in a gang, you end up doing what the gang wants you to do. When you're on heroin or any drug, you do what the heroin wants you to do. I keep telling them, we keep turning our life over to others or other things. At a certain point, you gotta say, I wanna own this life. I don't wanna have to answer to anybody other than myself. Well, actually, kids are very smart. And one thing you can't do with them is BS them, as you know. So they look at me, I don't look like a gangster. I look like a regular schmodo, like somebody's uncle. I look like the janitor in the school. I, I look like a regular guy now. But once they see me talking, telling my story, and then they, they get it. You know, They see my tattoos. They know that I've been somewhere. And then they open up. Is Shakespeare the hard sell when you go talk to kids? Um, it is in the beginning. But when they see me tell them, it's cool. It changes things because I tell them my poetry has a tradition, has a thread, and I'm just bringing it back to the present. Uh, one of my favorite poems he ever did was of Venus and Adonis. This is an amazing poem about Venus and Adonis and the, the beauty of, 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 the, of their love and love what it is and eros and everything. And he has this one line that just knocks it all out. And that line is, she murders with a kiss. So to me, that's the power of a great poem. And yet he's mocked as a dead white European male. And uh, Well, he is. He's all that. But there's no way you can take away what he's done to the English language. I'm also very clear that there's not enough voices of color and other voices, so all of it needs to be mixed in. But we got to support and love Shakespeare just like we got to love uh, uh, you know, um, Sonia Sanchez or any of these other writers that don't get known, but they're out there doing this great work. The land was ours before we were the land. She was our land more than a hundred years before we were her people. Ever since President Kennedy had Robert Frost reading at mm -hmm. his inauguration, there have been off and on poems right. and poets at inaugurations. Has that been a significant influence? I think it's, it's helpful a lot. And I know because Elizabeth Alexander, who read for uh, President Obama, is actually an old friend of mine. On the brink on the brim, on the cusp, praise song for walking forward in that light. We published her when nobody knew her. Now she's big and well-known. And I don't mean big in the sense that she's a big celebrity because us poets 
we are not celebrities. Nobody really knows us, but when they do know us, they love us. Now, I've had people meet me in airports, you're Luis Rodriguez, and they want to take pictures with me. It's a better situation than being kind of famous because you're on TV or movies or something. You've been doing Shakespeare sonnets. Give us an example. Praise to shoes on a homeless winter night. Praise to mothers who nurture without men. Praise to the bottom in a drug-mad flight. Praise to the poet who shatters with a pen. Praise to vibrant children in a static world. Praise to dreamers in cash-only exchanges. Praise to the tattered flag of justice unfurled. Praise to our nation's depth, breath, and ranges. Praise to a restoring earth with global warming. Praise to large spirits even in cages. Praise to the new alignments now forming. Praise to anger with eyes, not blind rages. There is much to praise if we are to last, the big within the small, the small in the vast. There's a discipline to poetry, from a haiku to a sonnet to an ode, that prose doesn't have. And some people think, well, why should I have to write in a format? But why do you enjoy some of the formats, the demanding formats of poetry? Because it's an art form, that's one thing. There's got to be a love for the art and how language can be part of that. But the other side of it is I think it allows you to really get into what I call soul talk, a little deeper. Prose is very much... uh, can do that too, as you know. But a lot of it is informational, a lot of it is trying to sell you something, a lot of it is not very revealing. To me, when you get into poetry, you have to reveal something. You can't just be hiding it. You have to put it out there and you gotta find the right word with the right image, with the right sound to make it clear. All these forms force you to think about sound and language as something you can put in a, in a bottle that can say so much more. So the idea is to put um, hard, profound things in simpler, succinct forms. And that's what I think is the art of it. In school, I used to memorize poems. Maybe you did too. And that's disappearing. It's disappearing. And I hate to say this because I think it's one of those things that should keep happening. But there is a resurgence. There's groups in high schools like Get Lit Players that has young people learn the classics by memory and write their own works. There's Say Word, there's um, Street Poets, there's a number of groups now in L.A. Do you have poems about Los Angeles? Maybe you could read one for us? Actually, uh, the end of a long poem, but it's my love poem to Los Angeles. And Los Angeles, you better be listening. And uh, I'll just read you the end of it. It's it's my love-hate poem, really. And it goes like this. I love L.A. I can't forget its smells. I love to make love in L.A. It's a great city, a city without a handle, the world's most mixed metropolis of intolerance and divisions. How I love it, how I hate it. Zoot suit riots, can't stay away, city of hungers, city of angers, Ruben Salazar, Rodney King. I like to kick its face in. Bone city, dried blood on walls, wildfires, taunting dove whales, car fumes and oil derricks, water thievery with every industry possible and still a one industry town lined by those majestic palm trees and like its people with solid roots, supple trunks, resilient. It's not the tourist, L.A. No. But I think if you know a city, you know all of it. You know the bad and the good, and you still love it. Your early book, Always Running, La Vida Loca, Gang Days in L.A., was on the list of the nation's 100 most censored books, yeah. Kept the list kept by the American Library Association. Yeah. Is it still on that list? Yeah, it still is, and it's also one of the most checked-out books in the libraries and one of the most stolen. <laughs> so it's very That's popular. a compliment. It is. So it's, it's a book that 
happened with great timing. My book happened to come out, and it was very popular. It told the story from the viewpoint of a Chicano gang kid, which wasn't really being done previous to that. I mean, there was books about Chicano gangs, but usually by social scientists, but not from a former participant. So it's still used today. More than 20 years later, it's still in the schools and in the libraries. Do you have two or three favorites of other people's? One of the reasons I'm here is because we have this great anthology, Coiled Serpent. It's uh, the largest anthology of L.A. poets uh, ever done. It's uh, 160 poets. We had like close to 400 submissions, and we picked 160 poems. Now, it shows that L.A. is an amazing poetry town, if not the most important poetry town in the country. I might be able to say that's our Take that, New York. I think so. I think in many ways we have a variety that other cities don't have. And some of them, you know, have sensitivities from Iran or from Mexico or El Salvador or Japan, other countries, or even just the South or even just uh, what it is to be uh, here in this country. This country is probably one of the best poetic expressive countries in the world, and yet, like I say, it's not in the center of the culture. It's pushed to the side, and yet we have the most, some of the best, from Walt Whitman to Emily Dixon, all the way to the present, we have a great variety of of verse in this country. Well, Luis Rodriguez, gracias. Gracias. Thank you so much. Thank you. Appreciate it very much. Morrison Asks is produced for the Los Angeles Times by Pat Morrison. It's engineered and edited by Todd G. Levin. The song Brush Up Your Shakespeare is from Kiss Me Kate, a Broadway cast recording from the year 2000. I am Pat Morrison. <laughs> <laughs>